Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. Today we're going to share a recently posted experience from ions.org, the International Association for Near-Death Studies website. This was posted on the 15th of January, 2019. And uh, it is anonymous, um, but it's a girl who says, I was 13 years old at the time and lived in Szczesin, Poland. During the summer school holidays, I became very sick at home. My head became hot, all my joints became very painful, and I ended up in hospital, although to this day I have no idea how I got there. My grandmother was there at my bed, pulling or putting cold compresses on my head, but they did not help. I was suffering from rheumatic fever. The last thing I remembered was screaming as I lay there in the bed. The next thing I recall was waking up in a dark, warm place. I could not see anything at all. There was absolutely no pain at all, and I recall feeling warm, peaceful, and safe. I could not see or feel my body. I knew, however, for some reason that I had to go up, and I felt like I was climbing stairs, although I couldn't see them. A very bright white light appeared up in the distance, and I knew I had to go towards it. It was already in the direction I was headed. It was clear, and I have never seen such a brightness in my life. I just knew that I had to get there somehow. Someone then touched me on the shoulder, like a push with the hand, and the voice and a voice said, Child, you have to go back. It's not your time. The voice was beautiful, calm and clear, definitely male. I said to the voice, I don't want to go back. I have no pain and it's nice and warm here. I want to stay. I still couldn't see anything at all, either myself or the source of the voice, even though it was like they were right next to me. The voice repeated its earlier statement. It's not your time yet. You have to go back. You have to go back. It's not your time. It was very patient, yet insistent and firm, despite my anger at not being allowed to continue. I'd never felt like that before. It was so good. You cannot explain it, but there is nothing there that can hurt you. No pain in your head, just a warm, gooey feeling of happiness and safety. The next thing I remember was coming down through the ceiling, looking down at myself on a hospital bed. I also saw my mother sitting next to the bed. She had her head lay, lying on the bed next to me and appeared to be asleep. I noticed that her hair had gone completely gray. The walls in the wards in the hospital had glass windows in the top part of the rear near the ceiling, or uh, of the wall near the ceiling. And as I was floating down from the ceiling, I could look into the room next to mine. I remember seeing a young girl who looked like a teenager, around 18 or so. I could hear the doctors and nurses talking about how she had been attacked in a park. They didn't think she was going to survive, and she had brain damage. 
The doctor said they would have to operate. One of the nurses said they were going to cut off her hair. I was so upset at this because she had such beautiful black hair, and as a child, I was obsessed with hair. I then kept descending and entering my body. I then opened my eyes and saw my mother next to me. She realized that I had woken up and got the nurses and doctors to attend. They kept saying, she's alive, she's alive. All I was thinking about was the girl next door. The first thing I asked was, how is the girl in the next room? Is she okay? When I said that, a nurse who was nearby, who was carrying a tray of syringes and other objects, dropped them or dropped it on the floor. She then went and got a specialist who had been looking after me and they started to whisper. I could hear what they were saying. The nurse kept repeating, how does she know that? The specialist then talked to me and told me that I was lucky to be alive, that everything I thought I saw was a dream and it was my imagination. I was trying to explain what happened to me and what I had seen in the next room. The specialist denied such a person was in the next room. When they left, I was in tears and asked my mother to have a look in the ward next door. I wanted to know if the girl was alive. She went and had a look, and the girl was there, just like I had said. My mother appeared to be very calm about it. We didn't bother to tell the doctors anything after that. I was so angry that they wouldn't believe me, and they kept giving me empty boxes to play with. I kept trying to go in and see her, but the nurses would not let me. That is the end of the experience. And uh, this is one of them that I would qualify as an evidential experience, meaning that uh, um, I think some people call it veridical experiences or um, verifiable experiences. Anyway, um, just in the sense that her mother was the one to go check and find out that there was indeed a girl in the other room, even though the doctors denied it because they were trying to uh, maintain this, you know, air of... Uh, you know, it's, it's funny when you think about why would doctors deny a fact such as there being a girl in the other room or deny the, uh, the fact of her having had some kind of out-of-body experience. And and the best answer I can come up with is that these kind of experiences happen at the moment of death most often, which means that they have to acknowledge, if they, if they, you know, verify what was said, then they have to acknowledge that the person was seriously that close to death or even fully experienced death before coming back. And if they, if they admit that the person was dead, then there's a uh, risk of lawsuits and so forth like that. Whereas if they're like, oh, they were just, you know, just having a rough moment, but they're okay, you know. <laughs> and other people, you know, I, it's, it's the kind of thing, you know, if somebody believes in God and something happens that seems to go against that belief, they tend to shun the facts or, or the uh, situation that makes them think that they would have to, you know, deny their belief. And that is understandable from a faith point of view. 
But from an atheist point of view, I can understand not believing it, but we also have to have a another explanation. I mean, the nurses knew there was a girl in the other room. And so if they were, you know, I, I, I can't imagine, you know, because, you know, you would think that if they were just atheists, didn't believe in what she was saying, but but uh, just recognized that, uh, oh, this girl is, you know, believes that there's a life after whatever, that they would just kind of humor her and say, oh, yes, honey, she's fine. You know, if there wasn't a real girl in the other room, she's fine. Don't worry about it. She's fine. You know, and just kind of hush her fears, despite the fact they weren't real. If, if she... If there really is a girl in the other room, then again, it, it comes back to what could it be? And I, you know, I'm left to think that there's probably fear of lawsuit. And I think that's unfortunate. I, and it could be also that there's, you know, privacy aspect, that they're not allowed to say who is at the hospital at any given time, even though if somebody came and asked at the front desk, is, is there a young girl, whatever, they probably would let them come visit, I would think. I, you know, I don't know. I would be interested if any of you are in the medical field um, about some of the reasons that uh, medical professionals may deny facts um, that are verifiable evidences of near-death experiences. And not just, you know, I understand, you know, when they say, oh, well, the light is probably oxygen deprivation and whatever you know, because they're just trying to come up with scientific explanations for things. But in terms of individual verifiable situations like this, where, you know, okay, so she shouldn't have known there was another girl in the other room, but the fact that she did, what reason did they have to lie about it? So, you know, I don't know. Again, lawsuit is my guess. But let's talk about the experience itself. She uh, finds herself in a place, first in a dark, warm place. She couldn't see anything at all. No pain, just a warm, peaceful, safe feeling. She couldn't see or feel her body either. But she knew instinctively or intuitively that she had to go up. She says it felt like climbing stairs, although she couldn't see them. And a very bright white light appeared up in the distance in the direction she was going. And she knew she had to go towards it. And though the only thing that she can seem to see is this light in the distance, possibly still darkness behind her, I'm not sure, um, is, you know, there's, there's nothing else that she can see, but there is other things going on. She senses a person next to her, uh, and a voice next to her says, Child, you have to go back. It's not your time. That seems to be the most common message to near-death experiencers, and which is why they're near-death experiencers probably and not full-death experiencers. And it does bring on the question, how often do people not come back when they could have? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, very clearly, those who come back almost always are supposed to come back and they're told it's not your time. And of course, she begins to argue um, she's loving it there, and uh, she couldn't see herself or the voice with her, which which hints toward me that she's in the uh, in the conscious intelligence 
form and uh, and she does say that this is a male voice she doesn't specify anything beyond that such as suggesting that it was God or or a lost loved one or what she doesn't really specify but she does seem to have anger at not being allowed to continue but she's next thing she knows she's down in the ceiling looking down at her body on the hospital bed and that is the point where she can see through a high window up a, toward the ceiling um, through to the other room and I'm not clear on if she uh, I was always floating down from the ceiling I could look into the next room I remember seeing a young girl um, she doesn't specify whether she went into the room or not probably doesn't matter with her 360 degree vision she probably three see through walls a little bit sense through walls anyway I don't know it, 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 it's unclear how much of a view of everything that she had but she was able to discern that uh, they would have to operate that they would have to cut off her hair which in her mind at the time was a tragic thing because you know her she was obsessed with her own hair as a girl and this girl was going to lose her hair and apparently she'd been attacked and we don't know any more beyond that we don't know if that girl survived i mean when her mother went to check on her all she verified was that she was there and uh just like she had said but it didn't uh she didn't say more just that her mother was very calm about it and it's unclear whether her mom believes her or whether her mom um is just kind of humoring her to help her feel better, something to that effect, I don't know. But uh, very interesting experience and beautiful experience. And also a reminder to medical professionals, as well as those who are at the bedside of loved ones, you don't know what they might hear. In fact, even in your thoughts. So keep your thoughts and your words kind, uh, because you don't know what they can hear. In fact, if they do hear what you say, they'll probably... Um, be able to recognize your thoughts, the full context of them, and so forth. So be gentle and kind anytime you're at the bedside of a loved one. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by either purchasing the book Life in the Spirit World or by going to patreon.com slash ndecast and becoming an ongoing monthly contributor. You can also contact the podcast either to share a comment, ask a question, or to share your own near-death experience by emailing neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com or by calling 970-NDE-CAST. And once again, thank you, all of you, so much again for listening.